Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a great joy to be on Jonah chapter 3. I got really excited. Jonah is such a great book. It's a favorite, especially for children. So many uh, powerful images, wonderful story. But also as a teenager, I really felt uh, led by God to start memorizing whole chapters and even whole books of the Bible. And the thought occurred to me that if the, uh, the great fish could swallow Jonah, so could I. So Jonah was one of the first books I memorized as a teenager. And, you know, as a brash uh, teenager, I did both Jonah. And uh, people thought I was a little weird, but it was a good uh, conversation starter as well. But thank you for this opportunity to share from God's word. And to uh, be, uh, are we... Are we all right out in the microphone? Can you hear me through this one? Good. Uh, so it's a great joy to share. And this is such a loaded chapter. When uh, Jillian asked me to write some questions, I ended up writing 15 questions. Now, there's no way that in you know one hour we'll cover all of them. But I do think the whole point of questions is to get our minds and our spirits and our souls activated. and. Uh, so uh, be sure you have those questions, uh, whether you can join us in our uh, discussion online in a few minutes after the service. Uh, we're grateful to you also for sending uh, Darnell, and he's a tremendous joy to, uh, to teach and to have in class. And we work with our partner, City Vision University, uh, to uh, help him toward accredited degrees. So thank you. Now, uh, this chapter is just 10 verses long. And I think it uh, breaks down very powerfully into four categories. The obedience, the repentance, the experience, and the deliverance. The obedience, the repentance, the experience, and the deliverance. If you can, say them with me. The obedience, the repentance, the experience, and the deliverance. Well, first of all, the obedience. Uh, in the Bible text, we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And uh, part of our a point of the uh, key biblical truth is that uh, the living God is a God of many chances. Initially, when I wrote that, I thought the God of second chances. But you and I know that uh, we've had a lot of chances, more than maybe uh, we would even care to count. And thank God that God is a, a gracious and forgiving, awesome uh, living God. And, and this is one of the unique and very powerful truths of the gospel. It's really of all all the competitors, so to speak, of world religions, their gods are, are never able to just forgive, have a radical forgiveness. Because, uh, well, they're, 
the role of the teachers, the role of Krishna in, in Hinduism is to teach people how to be more attuned you know, to the Dharita, the ultimate moral law, moral spiritual law that is above Brahman, is above the divinity. And so uh, the divinity doesn't have the right or power to forgive you radically for what you've done to, to bring you uh, restoration and redemption, uh, but only to teach you. And so Hinduism contributed in a big way to the development of arithmetic because they speculated how many years, thousands, maybe millions of years, maybe even millions of lifetimes, it would take for you to pay off all your bad karma. So arithmetic got a boost. Uh, Dr. Corfield, uh, we can be thankful for the Hindus for giving the arithmetic you need for chemistry. Isn't that great? And in uh, Islam, it's, it's all still a matter of good works. Uh, and, and to uh, work hard at uh, pleasing Allah. And we believe, of course, in good works as an expression of our gratitude for this awesome gift of forgiveness. So that way we can say he's the God of many chances. And all of us have the opportunity to come again and to hear from him what his instructions are. So this amazing phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It, you know, it wasn't that they had a United States Postal Service that was sending out Bibles. So the word of the Lord came to him through the postal service. Now the word of the Lord, the way this is described is the word of the Lord is a person. It's not just a thought. Not just a, uh, a set of words, a set of phrases, but the word of the Lord, I guess I don't need this, do I? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and this we know is the living God himself, revealing himself. There are more than 100 times in the Old Testament, the phrase, the word of the Lord came to a prophet, came to a leader is used well over a hundred times. And uh, so we have, not just in uh, John chapter one, where Jesus, where the divinity is the word of the Lord, but repeatedly before that as well. Uh, the New Testament is deeply, deeply embedded, deeply rooted in the Old Testament. And this is just one of thousands of ways. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love this idea of practicing different ways to be attentive to the voice of the Lord, to actually hear the Lord. Um, you might try having a, a visual uh, sense of the Lord's presence, a, a very strong uh, sensory sense of, sense of the Lord's presence. Uh, not just perk up your ears or your soul, uh, but to be very attentive to his amazing presence all around us. I had a friend, uh, when I was uh, finishing my uh, PhD at University of Virginia, a friend was uh, teaching 
um, in the uh, engineering department, but he had more contracts with NASA in developing solid state, uh, uh, new solid state uh, physics units, new transistors or whatever different names were the same thing. And in fact, he had published uh, uh, articles in uh, academic journals you know, that were refereed articles. He had twice as many published articles in the area of solid state physics than anybody else in the world. And here he was at University of Virginia and uh, a, a, a fellow, a friend of ours uh, introduced us and I had the joy of really spending time with him. And uh, he showed me how it worked for him to hear God when he couldn't make something happen in his lab with all his lab assistants. And he had quite a few because he had good funding from NASA. All right. But when they couldn't make it happen, couldn't make it come together, he would uh, put them all on other projects, go into his office, pull a shade on the office door, pull a shade on, on the outer window, the window to the uh, beautiful uh, campus of University of Virginia, unplug the phone, and this is be way before our cell phones, um, then uh, take a, a blank clipboard and uh, lean back in his swivel chair and, um, and first of all, by the way, read several Psalms and a few chapters out of the Gospels to get his mind and spirit attuned to the creator of the universe, the ultimate physicist, the ultimate expert in solid state physics. And then he would listen. Pastor, he would listen there in that office and he would write down whatever came to mind he didn't critique it didn't categorize it didn't write notes on it just whatever thoughts came to mind and he would write 20 to 30 ideas down in the next two hours he was a patient man by the way when you listen to god give yourself a couple of hours and um then after that time seemed to be fulfilled, that, that process uh, slowed down and he started looking at those and, and whatever it was, 20 or 30, he could organize into five or six ideas because there was a certain amount of repetition. The Lord doesn't mind repeating himself. And then he would come out of his office and put different people in the uh, team to start working on each of these ideas. And almost always one of those five or six ideas was exactly what they needed. So the true author of all those published articles that gave him international fame was the Lord, the creator himself. And, and so you know, while we may think about the warm fuzzies or goosebumps of being able to hear God's voice, it really can make a difference in so many ways and not just professionally but that would be a, a lovely gift wouldn't it from the lord to have uh great ideas that give us a boost in our professional work and i found that following his method i was able to complete even though i was working i was able to complete my dissertation in record time uh while many of my colleagues had days 
weeks and even months of dry periods where they had nothing to write. Uh, I asked the Lord to help me to wake up early. And without an alarm clock, I woke up at 8 o'clock every, excuse me, at 4 o'clock every morning, 4 o'clock every morning, got the rest of the family up to have a 8 o'clock uh, breakfast uh, together that I made. But between 4 and 7 o'clock, I, I got almost three hours of concentrated writing and never a dry day by God's grace. Now, not all of it was really all that good. Some of it had to be put in the trash, but it was a constant flow. And, and I myself, of course, created a lot of static in the Lord's process. I had a, a momentary uh, temptation to put the Lord's name on the title of my dissertation, but uh, since all my dissertation committee were atheists, I figured probably not helpful in uh, getting their approval. Uh, but the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he obeyed. What an idea. Isn't that a great word? He obeyed. And, and sometimes we ask for a word from the Lord, and we get the word from the Lord. We get an idea. We get a feeling, get an impulse from the Lord. And, and then we kind of file it away. And uh, before long, we forget where we even filed it. Because we have not acted on it. And throughout the scripture, it's action that matters. You know, not everyone who says to me, Jesus said at the very end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, hey, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. A few verses later, Jesus says, whoever Here's my words and does them. NIV says, here's my words and puts them into practice. Puts them into practice. Five syllables. But it's just one word. Does. It's, I think, two syllables in the Greek. But keep it simple. Hear and do. Hear the word. Now do it. And then the Lord will supply more words to hear. And to do. Whoever hears my words and does them is like a shrewd builder who builds on a firm foundation on the rock, which is a reference to God Himself. The rock, not just any old rock. So it's about life, not not building uh, houses or or office buildings, but it's about life. Have the rock as your foundation. And then Jesus said, and "Whoever hears my words, they came to church." They even participated in the Zoom discussion. They heard the word, but does not do them. The text literally says, Jesus says, that's like the moron. Jesus has used sharper language than our translators want to use. Like the moron who builds his house on the shifting sand next to the river. Not smart. Uh, so uh, the doing is the crucial thing. The obedience, verses 1 through 4. Then verses 5 through 8, the repentance. Now, notice after the fourth verse, Jonah doesn't play, play a role. It says that the king heard about Jonah's message, but he never met Jonah. All right? From, 
from verse 4 on, Jonah kind of disappears in the action in uh, Jonah chapter 3. Um, I'll let you interpret why, that, why that's important, but uh, I think it's very significant. Uh, because the message was bigger than the man, at least. And it says in the text, the people believed God. It didn't say they believed Jonah. Now, Jonah was speaking the word from the Lord, the, the message that in you know, 40 days, uh, Nineveh will be destroyed. It's not really gospel. It's all bad news. But yet people responded by doing things, for heaven's sake, not just by talking about it or evaluating the quality of the preacher or uh, you know, thinking about uh, uh, different ways he could have said it better. Uh, but instead, they are fasting. They are putting on sackcloth as a very physical demonstration of repentance. They are committed to prayer. And then even the, the king, when he gets the, the message, uh, believes, believes God and activates uh, uh, even more fasting and prayer and, and uh, repentance and change of behavior. And when the king uh, heard what was said, he uh, issued a proclamation. No one, not even animals uh, from, from your herd or flocks may eat or drink or uh, anything at all. So the animals were part of this. I, I kind of like that. I'm a lover of animals. Uh, so the animals were invited to be part of this uh, fasting and repentance and prayer. Uh, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And everyone must uh, pray earnestly to God. It doesn't name the Lord. Uh, and this was a pagan city, a giant pagan city. Uh, by the way, the text says it was uh, three days, took three days to go through the city. There are two different interpretations of that because the city was only three miles in diameter. So, you know, you, you know, we, any of us could have walked that across in less than an hour. But when it says there was three days journey, Probably it means either that uh, Jonah went up and down every street, every alley uh, uh, to uh, cover the territory within the city. But the Nineveh metro area, we know from archaeology, was 60 miles in diameter. And, um, you know, taking three days to go 60 miles is okay, I think. Uh, try it if you want to check it out. Um, but notice how the, the king, uh, not quite the end of his proclamation, but he says, uh, everyone must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Now, Nineveh was uh, a part of Assyrian, the Assyrian world. Uh, Assyrians still uh, dominate the population in the middle of Iraq. Uh, Assyrians in our time, are almost all Christian people and are persecuted viciously by their uh, Muslim neighbors and uh, Muslims uh, across Iraq. So that uh, while there were probably uh, 300,000 Assyrians uh, back before uh, we started that war uh, in Iraq, 
there are probably only about a tenth uh, that many uh, nowadays because uh, violence against them, persecution against them increased after uh, uh, Saddam was uh, deposed. Saddam was a, a vicious, evil man, but he uh, maintained a level of, of order uh, nevertheless, and I'm not giving him any endorsements, uh, but the persecution against Christians multiplied once he was uh, put out of the way. Uh, so there's, there's uh, often a price to pay for our good deeds. And uh, so we should uh, pray for our Assyrian uh, brothers and sisters. But uh, people believed God. The king made an awesome proclamation of uh, uh, guiding people to be active in uh, showing their repentance. And then he adds this, and here we are to the experience part. So we've talked about obedience, talked about repentance, and that's action. They understood that repentance wasn't just having a, a couple of uh, uh, thoughts about, I could have done better, but actually doing acts of repentance, showing their humility before God, and praying, even though they didn't have uh, the scriptures that we have. But then the, the king in, uh, in uh, verse uh, uh, 9 concludes his proclamation saying, who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Who knows? And this is what I, I call a kind of uh, wise agnosticism. Who knows? To really know something, uh, we expect a very high standard of confidence, fact-checking, etc. But, but he's saying, let's, let's act on this, nevertheless. Who knows? But hey, let's do our best. Let's act the best we know, the best we can. Let's put the uh, pieces of our lives together in a nonviolent way, in a righteous way. And, and note, too, he didn't have to uh, report to them the Ten Commandments to remind them what's right and wrong. He just said, restrain from evil. Stop the evil. And you know, it's... Uh, uh, while while we you know think it's important and it probably is to to rehearse uh, Ten Commandments and to emphasize uh, standards, but the fact is that that even people have never heard of the Ten Commandments, as I've done. I go to uh, people in Russia, for example, after uh, 70 years of atheist uh, domination, uh, and and talk about each of the Ten Commandments and just ask people, what do you think? Is this important? And, and uh, I think it was eight out of 10 got uh, huge support. People saying, of course, that's important. You know, not, not to uh, steal, to honor your parents. That got the highest score, by the way. Uh, of course, people should honor their parents. It's just natural. It's just, uh, just rooted in humanity to honor your parents, even though we don't always do that. Uh, and and um, the one that probably got the least was uh, uh, honoring um, a day of rest. Although in Russia, unlike America, almost all the stores close on Sunday, at least when I was there uh, during the research. Um, and so you know, in, in action, more close to a, uh, a day of rest orientation. But nevertheless, this idea of who knows, this uh, openness to learn, this 
idea of let's try it out, let's experiment. Now, uh, years ago, when I was teaching at University of Virginia, when I was teaching at Wheaton College, I included in a philosophy 101 class or even had a special class on, on world religions. But the raising the question, how do you know when you have a good way of life, a good philosophy of life, your core values? How do you sort your core values out? And there are you know, three basic theories. I won't give you the whole uh, lecture here, but one is check the facts. Is it based on real facts? Is that theory, is that set of values based on real facts? Or second, check the rationality. Does it all fit together? Is it a coherent whole? Uh, and, and those two are promoted, by the way, especially by uh, Christian theologians. And the third one is, does it work? Third one is, uh, what's your experience? How does it pan out? Try it, see what happens. And that's sometimes called pragmatism. And often preachers use that word pragmatism with a sneer. Pragmatism, like it's an evil thing. Don't even touch it. Well, what you may not be aware of is that pragmatism in philosophy has Christian roots. Uh, and because the, the invitation of scripture is to come to me. Jesus says, come to me, try me. You know, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, give me a chance, walk with me. Pascal had this awesome argument that we should try belief. And, and, and in philosophy texts where they use Pascal as a reference, they only quote the part about the bet, a bet on life. You know, if you, if you, if you don't believe God, you place your bet on not believing God, uh, then you have a lot of risk, uh, and you're risking the ultimate joys of life on this world and the next. If if there is a God, then then you could pay a bad penalty if you're dissing him, ignoring him, uh, teaching other people not to believe him, whatever. In your life, atheism is just full of too many risks. If you believe God, you can have more joy in life, Pascal said, and... Uh, and you've got your eternity uh, guaranteed. You're good, good to go. Uh, even if it's wrong, even if your belief is wrong, you still got a better life on earth. So he said, be smart, believe. But then he adds, now here's what you're supposed to do. Now that you're choosing to believe or choosing to try belief, Pascal says, go to church, say your prayers. Read the scripture, check it out, and you will grow in your confidence that you made the right choice. You will then step forward in deep confidence, and your faith will be strong because it will be based on your own experience of God's presence and God's guidance and God's blessing in your life. So he didn't leave it on the gambling table. He used that to get people's attention and to get them to choose to try it. Well, uh, the founder of, of modern pragmatism was an American by the name of Charles Saunders Peirce. Anyone ever hear that name before? As I, I expected, two people 
in the room. Well, that's higher than the usual. Uh, uh, this is a smart group. But uh, William James, John Dewey, it gave him credit for the basic idea of uh, experiential learning, uh, uh, just checking out ideas. And he was very strong as his prime example is, uh, don't just critique uh, the gospel from outside, check it out, live it, believe God, see what happens. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm on the side of the king on this one. Uh, I think the king is onto something when he says, who knows? Let's give this a try. Who knows? Maybe God will relent. Maybe he will not destroy us as he has uh, warned. Maybe uh, we will not uh, be obliterated. Uh, then, then we have this 10th uh, verse, very powerful verse. When God saw what they had done, notice again the do word. Right? Not just what they thought or prayed or intended to do. We all know where good intentions lead, what's paved with good intentions, right? And yet we continue to have good intentions, but kind of low on the scale of action sometimes. Uh, so we need to put, put legs on our intentions to, um, to really put action because it's the Lord that keeps saying it's not just what you believe it's uh, far more important what you're doing with what you believe it's the do word it's so crucial and and this is why I'm so eager to teach ethics because while theology is very important and most evangelical uh, uh, divinity schools training schools emphasize theology more than ethics uh, my approach is to emphasize ethics more than theology, not to de-emphasize theology, but to emphasize acting with responsibility to God, acting for justice, acting for compassion, acting for results, and to do that uh, to please and, and honor God. Glorify God is a verb. It's an action. Have what we have done today, has that glorified God? Be good to have a little uh, accounting book uh, beside our bed. What did I do today that gave God glory? And glory simply means, what have I done today to enhance God's reputation? What have I done? Not thought or intended. What have I done to enhance God's reputation? And as uh, one great Christian document says, what is the purpose of mankind? It is to glorify God, to enhance his reputation, and to enjoy him forever. Let's go for both of those. So we have God relenting, uh, changing his mind. As we're back to what I said about uh, Rita, this uh, moral law in Hinduism, this moral spiritual law, uh, the, the, the gods cannot forgive you for violating Rita. You must pay. Uh, the karma requires 
You have to do good karma to pay off bad karma. And, and the, the ultimate law that even Allah cannot change, cannot change because it's not his law. That ultimate law, God created. God is above his law. And he has the authority to forgive. He alone has the authority to forgive. When it comes to competition of different religions, there's no other religion other than what is taught in the scripture that says that the Lord says that God has the authority to radically forgive. So don't uh, feel uh, jealous for others. They don't have it. They don't have this amazing statement. In fact, all these other religions mock us for believing that God would forgive. Mock us. I've had uh, Muslim friends say, but Allah can't forgive. I said, yeah, that's true. He, Allah, can't. This is why the Lord of Scripture is greater than Allah. That's why he's called the Most High, God Most High. Great phrase in Scripture, God Most High. But regardless of what the competition is, God is still God Most High. Now, there's no reason to uh, think we can, we can exploit God's uh, graciousness. Um, it still is related to repentance. Did Nineveh get destroyed after 40 days? No. God relented from what he said. God has a right to. Some people get stinky about that. Oh, God's never supposed to change his mind. As if whatever God says is like the law of the Medes and the Persians. If you know uh, that story, uh, that even the dictators can't change their own dictates. But uh, God is above his law. He can interpret his law. He can forgive you from violations of his law. All violations. Hallelujah. Now, Nineveh did get destroyed about 150 years later. And... Uh, and never really uh, recovered. Uh, Nineveh uh, remained powerful force after uh, Jonah's visit, and it, it um, became a very powerful force and, and a very vicious uh, army in, in the way it uh, abused people and very vicious to its, some of its own people, too. Uh, more about that, maybe I uh, should uh, look at another day. Um, and it was actually... The Assyrians that destroyed the northern tribes of uh, Israel came in uh, about, uh, uh, what, 70 years later, uh, 60, uh, let's see, uh, came in 50 years later and uh, destroyed the northern, the 10 northern tribes of Israel called, called Israel at that time. Were, uh, the lower two tribes were called uh, Judah, but uh, so uh, the you know the role of Nineveh was very powerful in uh, Israel history, and uh, it made a huge mark, the destructive mark. And by the way, if you look at all the kings of Israel after, after Solomon, every one of the kings of Israel, without exception, God called evil. 
And some of them ruled for 40 years, some ruled for four months, but nevertheless, every, uh, every one of them is labeled evil by the Lord. If you read through this horrible story, you think it's tough here when you have, uh, you know, bad governance in, in the county or the state or the nation or even the UN, but uh, to have really uh, devotedly evil people running things like in the northern uh, kingdom of Israel was utterly tragic, a stench to high heaven. And finally, God allowed the Assyrians to destroy it. It wasn't until uh, Babylon rose to power, uh, then a few years later, that Assyria uh, was destroyed. So the Assyrian Empire was destroyed and Nineveh was destroyed. Uh, so God's, uh, uh, God's predictions uh, uh, will come true at some point, but we know that he has the right to forgive even pagan people crying out for his forgiveness. What an idea. But they're still his creation. He still loves them. And they deserve to hear the whole gospel, still to be strong in their uh, seeking God's forgiveness in their lives and to walk in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and may this uh, message encourage you to, uh, to seek God's repentance in areas that you've not dealt with very well and to uh, uh, do that by showing action of repentance because it's uh, the Lord that looks at our behavior most of all. What are we doing for heaven's sake? What are we doing for heaven's sake? Right? Let's pray. Great God, we praise you for this opportunity to, to dig into your word. So much there. So much we had no time for. But yet we pray that the example of the Ninevites might uh, convict us uh, to do even better since we have so much more knowledge. But help us also to, to walk in, in the, uh, an attitude of trying, of, of uh, stepping out into, into new territory by the leadership of your word in our lives, by the voice of the spirit in our, in our spirit, to, to step ahead and try, try and experience the deep blessings you desire to pour into each of us to really know, to really truly know the truth of your gospel in each of our lives. Hallelujah and amen. All right, as we've been doing each week, we're going to do a little listening exercise now before we celebrate communion together. If you have a, something to write with or your phone, you can pull that out. It'd be helpful with this exercise. And we're going to do what that professor from the University of Virginia did. We won't take two hours, although time is important. So maybe you want to try it at home when you have more time. So I want to invite you, metaphorically speaking, to unplug your phone 
to pull your shades and to think and to ask God, God, what have you said to me this morning? Now, what I find when I try to try to do that is I want to evaluate everything that pops in my head and say, is that from you, God, or is that my imagination? Is, you know, and that's helpful, but not right away. <laughs> First, we just, we want to receive the thought. And again, if you're writing it down, jot it down. Later, there'll be time to go back and evaluate it and discern if it's from God. But in the moment, it really squenches the, the process to be evaluating every idea. So um, let me pray for us. God, we want to hear from you. We've heard your word spoken this morning, and we want to know what you want to say to us personally from it. So speak to us, your children, whom you love. Amen. So I want to take, give you a couple minutes just to jot down as you think back over this morning, any idea that pops into your mind, maybe a picture, maybe a word, maybe a thought from the sermon, whatever, and just jot it down. If you don't have a way to jot it down, you can uh, just try to think through it in your mind but and, and see what God might say or have said. So I'll give you a couple of minutes just, just to do that. All right, what I'd like to invite you to do now um, is take your list home and uh, look over it this afternoon and ask God, you know, of the things on here is, are there some things here that I think are from you? 
that you had to say to me this morning. And then if there are a couple things like that, be wonderful if you could share it with someone. Uh, maybe just to share it because you want to share the joy that God spoke to you this morning. Or maybe you want to share it because you want their input to see if it really is from God or, or what you should do about it. And then as Paul reminded us, if God told you something that you need to respond to, do it. <laughs> Try it out. Do it. Who knows what God might accomplish as you do what he told you to do.